0: Since Carl Stearns Clancy first navigated the world back in 1912, 1913, and then Ted Simon in the 70s and others, those icons paved the way for other moto travelers who read about their adventures and then went out and chased their own. And some of those have become motivation for modern-day motorcycle travelers. Today, we have a couple of riders who have also inspired many people to get out and explore by motorcycle. After 17 years, Simon and Lisa Thomas have made their share of mistakes on the road, They've had their share of adventures, and when asked if they would do it again, well, on this episode, a deeper conversation about motorcycle travel, making money on the road, risk, insurance, changed perspectives over the time on the road, and a lot more. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. I'm Sam Mannequin Ted Simon Austin Vince Simon Pavey Graham Phil Jocelyn,
1: Jocelyn Snow, Charlie Borman Simon Thomas Lisa Thomas Grant Johnson Jimmy Lewis Liz Jansen
0: and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio It's wind pressure that powers the Motobreeze chain oiler. No electrical or vacuum connections. It delivers the oil to a felt pad on your swing arm. No nozzles near your sprockets. One ounce of oil gets 1,000 miles or 1,600 kilometers. Get more miles from your chain and sprockets. MotoBreeze.com. And Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And, of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear. GreenChiliADV.com. Best Rest Product is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA. Comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Tech filters. CyclePump.com. Well, it all began back in 2003. After a near financial ruin and then recovery, Simon and Lisa Thomas looked on life with a a slightly different view. They decided that freedom, at least for a while for them, was going to be on the road ahead of their two motorcycles. At first, they planned for maybe a year, year and a half. But when that time zipped by and the prospect of heading home loomed large, well, they decided they would keep going. Seventeen or so years later, they've managed to find a way to make a living while traveling. And with so many years on the road, traveling by motorcycle, they've got some interesting perspectives that we're going to talk about today. Right now, they're hunkered down in a tiny cabin on the side of a mountain in Wales.
2: Hi, it's Simon Thomas from To Ride the World. We've been travelling for a little over a decade and currently sitting in beautiful Wales.
1: And I'm Lisa Thomas, obviously the better half of the To Ride the World duo and I'm sitting alongside Simon in a beautiful part of Wales.
0: Simon, Lisa, welcome back to Adventure Rider Radio.
1: <laughs> Hi, nice hey, to be Jim. back.
0: Hi, how you doing? I'm doing very well. You guys are, are not on the road now, but you you have been on the road for many, many years. Now, I want to sort of I want to start this by going right back to the very beginning when you guys started. Can we just talk about that whole origin story? Now, I know this is probably a story you've told a lot because I know you guys do a, a lot of public appearances and things like that. And I know stories like this can tend to be polished somewhat, you know, over the years as you, as you, you know, you tell the same story again. But I'm, I'm really curious about that, that raw start out, you know, that where you, where you make the discovery, you come up with the idea that you want to hit the road and ride a motorcycle.
2: Yeah, I, I think one of the questions we get asked is whose idea was it? And if I'm completely honest, it was I, mine. I don't remember. <laughs> so in which case Lisa, Lisa's just claimed it. Um, you know, we—it's funny—we actually haven't told this as many times as people might imagine, um, but it was very much a case of we were we were on a we were on a life plan um, in terms of career. I owned several businesses. Um, Lisa was changing her career; she'd gone back to university to study IT, um, and I had a bad motorcycle accident. But that accident, I think, looking back now, was probably the catalyst that started. our our traveling fever. And if it hadn't have happened, our lives would have taken a very different course because I ended up having four or five surgeries. Um, I ended up, uh, being on my back for almost 18 months. And that time Although very very stressful, because we went from you know being pretty comfortable and being very busy and overworked and stressed to basically we lost everything bar the house, which had insurance on the mortgage and the two motorcycles, but furniture, credit cards maxed, uh, and it gave us a chance to look at our lives and what was important. And once we got back on our feet after that time period, our priorities had changed. We both love motorcycles. We both love to travel, and this i this idea kept popping up about you know taking a break and maybe going off and travelling around Europe or maybe a little bit further for two, three, or four months, and that's really all it was—two or three, four months. But when you've got a job and a career, that's an awfully long time.
1: I think the um, the idea had been in my head for many, many years. Um I'm a little older than Simon so uh, I managed to read uh, Jupiter's Travels when it first came out and uh, when Ted first wrote it and I think Simon was probably still in nappies then, um, and uh, that was kind of in my been in my head for years and years and years. And I had travelled a lot with family um, and then um, with boyfriends, etc. Uh, on motorcycles around. I can't Europe. believe
2: I thought you were going to mention the practice husband. The
1: practice husband, yes, um, and uh, it it was always there in the back of my mind and. And then when Simon and I got together, got married, et cetera, it, it kind of changed slightly. We were focused a bit more on, you know, the nice house and the careers, et cetera. But it, it, we did eventually, on our second anniversary, both go and retake our motorcycle tests. And from then onwards, it just became, I don't know, just became paramount in our minds, travel, motorcycles. But as Simon said, not not in the way that we have done it, but for maybe three to four months, maybe six months away. Um, and it just built from there, I but think. But
2: I, I was stressed working. You were stressed at university, mm-hmm. but I remember really keenly that whenever we got on our motorbikes, um, whether it was for five minutes or five hours, we instantly felt better. Um, we instantly felt freer. The stresses of work, etc., went away. And I don't think there's anybody that has that kind of experience and doesn't want more of it. And so it was quite natural for us to begin to fantasize about, you know, escaping for a few weeks or a few months and really going off and having an adventure on a couple of motorcycles.
0: Why did you have to rewrite your license? Did you have your license when you were younger and then somehow lose it?
1: (laughs) No, No. Um, I I am of the age where (laughs) in the UK, you didn't have to take a motorcycle license. Um, You just could, if you had a car license, you could just get on a motorcycle and ride it. And so I had one of those licenses um, and I thought that it would be a good idea to retake uh, my licence and, and actually obtain what I'd call a more modern-day motorcycle licence. Um, we did a week's intensive course, didn't yeah, we, in yeah.
2: Taunton in Somerset. Um, I'd taken some lessons many, many years ago. I had a little, a little run-around moped, you yeah, know, pop, pop. 50cc, <laughs> which I just thought was the best thing ever. Um and,
1: can you uh, imagine a six foot four man on on a well, little well, tiny weenie moped? The thing is,
0: is I, I can I can imagine the freedom. I, I think it's great. You know, anything that gets you round like that. I mean, there's nothing wrong with a 50cc if it gets you where you got
2: to go. Was, and it, you know, it was it, fantastic. Uh,
1: yeah, in fact, I had a 90cc when I was younger. But you know, do just have pedals? No,
2: I didn't did. have pedals. I used to absolutely hate school. <laughs> and until, my, until I got the moped, and my parents helped me buy it. I used to do everything I could to stay in bed until the very last moment. But this is how it changed my life. My school was at the top of a fairly steep hill. There was a dual carriageway going up and down from it. And when I got the moped, <clears throat> which I genuinely thought was the most exciting thing that could possibly ever happen in my life, I used to get up early because what I realised was that I couldn't get up the hill unless I pedalled. And I didn't want anyone to see I pedalled. But coming <laughs> down the hill in the afternoon, oh, it was like the world's fastest Indian, but in England. I used, to, I used to tuck down, I had a little white helmet, I got
1: this little elbows picture. out.
2: Like some kind of speed demon. I just thought it was the best thing ever. But in the morning, nobody, no one could see me. So I used to get up an hour early just to cycle up the hill.
1: Yes, yeah, so we both started off on, on small mopeds. So I had a Honda 19, you had the Honda 50. And we didn't know each other at that time, obviously. But um, it's interesting uh, to, to, we didn't go straight into having large motorcycles. It took uh, It took quite a few years.
0: But you mentioned you're working, you've been um, married a couple of years, you get your license. No. Then Simon you have this accident and I think I mean you, you nearly lost your foot I think from what I remember you yeah telling that's me right before yeah. with that being quite bad it's it's interesting that something like that makes you think about getting on a motorcycle and riding it <laughs> <laughs> for for long long distances but and you mentioned that you you know during this time you that you sort of lost everything ran up all your bills etc that's mm-hmm. because you're not working so as soon as you're working your 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 income's cut off right
2: Yeah um basically we had Lisa had gone back to university as a mature student. I'd two only weeks. just
1: made that decision. Yes. Yeah,
2: just two weeks before um, the accident. Mm. Basically, we'd gone out and we hadn't had bikes for a very, very long time. And so we went out and we were doing well financially at the time, even though I was young. And my very first big size bike was an R1100 BMW GS. Lisa had the very first F650. Um We'd passed our tests on our second wedding anniversary, and 27 days later, I was taking a super easy ride up to the middle of the UK to go and attend a business meeting. uh, The following day, someone pulled out into my left-hand side, knocked me into the oncoming traffic, and my right foot caught the oncoming car that was stationary and did an awful lot of damage, but the net result was, yeah, I... I spent 18 months pretty much on my back uh, having multiple surgeries to reattach my foot to my, uh, to my lower leg. Now, it got a little messy because in the UK, um, back at this point, you had a government grant to help you attend university, which is pretty expensive in the UK. So had Lisa left university um, as the mature student she was then to re work, which would have helped us financially, basically we realized that she would have lost any chance of going back to university again once things had improved because it's just it's just too expensive and I was adamant that I was going to recover quickly because I am, I am the eternal optimist. Um, the re- recovery took an awful longer than either of us anticipated but the long and the short of the situation was there was no money coming in. Insurance paid for a few things for four months, six months uh, on on some items but not on many and um, we ended up simply selling everything we owned bit by bit to pay the bills and to buy food and, and do all the things that you do when you're in survival mode. Um, and all those memories are still pretty fresh in my head.
0: Yeah, that, those are the type of memories that do stick with you, don't they? I mean, it's, um, mm. it hurts and, and, and it cuts deep yeah. and it leaves a, an indelible mark somewhere inside you that just sort of affects you or at least reminds you of things as no, you go absolutely. forward. Absolutely. Fast forward from there though to, so you, you you sort of got back on your feet, you mentioned, and then at what point does the idea of going travelling and, and for how long?
1: Oh gosh, so that was back in 97 when yep. you had the accident um, and we left in 2003. So really it was, and it does sound strange as you mentioned, you have a motorcycle accident and and then this idea forms in your head that you want to ride a motorcycle for a long distance. Um, I think it was because it was, Simon was totally blameless. You know, had he made a stupid mistake. That doesn't help um, it doesn't it, happen often. Yeah, it doesn't. And um, I think had it been the other way around, maybe we'd have both maybe had a few misgivings. But no, it, it was one of these things where it, it, it helped put into perspective what we were doing in our lives and why we were doing it. Um, and it made us realise that we were working exactly the same as though we had... Had a family, a family of our own, like children. Um, we were working long, hard hours. We were saving money. Um, had the home and the the cars, etc. But we weren't bringing up a family. It was just for us, and we were allowing ourselves, I suppose, to be selfish. We could make a decision in choosing to go on
2: on a a journey and
1: choosing to go away we didn't have anything holding us back of course we had our own family sisters and and parents but
2: I I remember a conversation over the breakfast table a couple of years after I was back on my feet after the accident and I'm not sure if I can call it a eureka moment but I really clearly remember a conversation we both had where we we both identified probably for the very first time out loud that the jobs and the lives we had, they were not of our own choosing. I don't think, I can, I can say that I didn't actually know what I wanted, what I wanted to be, what, I, what career I wanted to have. I knew I wanted money, but because I thought the money was going to give me choices. Um, and so I was working hard and investing in this and starting companies and working every hour that I could. And we had some nice things around us, but I remember that conversation. We went, well I went to this school because I was told I should do and I started this job because I thought it would be good to be to be used as a stepping stone onto the next thing. We were following we were following a life plan that society and friends and family tell you is the right one. Um, looking looking back now with 16 17 years of traveling behind us where every decision we made each day was our own. It's it's a night and day difference. And if I if I hadn't have had the accident, what would have pushed us
1: onto the onto sure. the course
2: we found ourselves today?
1: I'm sure that we would have travelled, but I think we would have done the usual. Let's take some time out, have short travels. Let's just uh, go on the normal you know, summer vacation. Uh, we both love skiing and had skiing holidays. We would have continued in that way because we would have had the money to be able to to enjoy things like that without without an awful lot of thought behind it. We would have just done that kind of vacationing.
0: And the way Simon though, says it is that this was the right choice. Do you still see him sitting there? Because you're back at home now, I know, and um, because of COVID right now. Mm-hmm. And you have to connect with old friends if, even if just to, to bump into them and see what they've done over this period of time and, and what they've accumulated in our, our world of obsessed with collecting stuff <laughs> and, and measuring ourselves, our success, so to speak, by that stuff. How do you feel now when you when you look at that with your decision? And I, I don't expect you to say, oh, well, made a big mistake. But I mean, does it make <laughs> you think twice? You know, because you, no. like I said, Simon said it as if this was the correct choice.
1: It doesn't make. Me think twice at all, and I, I know it doesn't make him think twice. and We made absolutely the right decision. I mean, unfortunately, we've not had much of a chance to bump into into old friends because of the isolation uh, that's been going on over here due to COVID. So we've only managed to see one set of friends once. It's been very frustrating. um But um, we're also
2: a different part of the UK. We are we UK, are literally yeah. in a small wooden box on the side of a mountain. In Wales.
1: In a national park. In a national park. Yeah.
2: So it's beautiful, but there really isn't very much around us at all.
0: Well, how do you manage to get in a national park in, in a cabin? That sounds like a pretty sweet setup.
2: Honestly, I, I would like to give you a smart answer, a lot of it was dumb luck. Uh, we came back, uh, we were back here for four weeks to start looking into some medical stuff for Lisa a couple of years ago. Um, we heard about this hill, came up genuinely for a picnic and to see the view. And there were some cabins up here. They're, they're pretty old. Um, and we laughed and joked. And I ended up putting a letter through where a letterbox is saying, if you're thinking about selling, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, didn't know it was coming onto the market. Uh, we got a response. I'm interested. And before we knew it, we were picking up a, a set of keys. It was certainly unplanned. we have been talking about having some kind of base for five or six years. Um, because the continuous traveling was, was getting us both very, very fatigued. We're both older, and we both thought the idea of having a base was nice, but we felt very lucky to have this now.
0: Wow, I didn't realize you owned it. I didn't realize you actually bought it. Yeah. That, that's incredible. So that that really does give you that uh, little sense of security, that, you know, we're, like yes. you said, a, a base to go back to.
1: We were... <laughs> it had been in our minds for a little while I, a, a lot of people out there you know go oh you guys are so lucky to be traveling and you know no worries etc but I, I do have a, a few medical issues that unfortunately I have ignored over quite a few years which I shouldn't have done um, and it, it it had become quite apparent that I needed those attended to um, and having a base uh, where to well, to, to have a base, not not be reliant upon family and sleeping on a couch and um, a friend's couch or going to stay with with um, parents, etc., who love you dearly, but <laughs> after a few weeks, you know, um, the both of us in in, the, in their house, um, it can it can be a little different, um, and and so to have a base with where we could. Come back and get things sorted out, um, but that's all. It was going to be a, a base. It wasn't going to be uh, any kind of permanence. Uh, it was just going to be there, and maybe we would rent it out um, whilst we weren't here. But of course, well, this that place was extremely totally
2: inexpensive, and we we really inexpensive. We got very very lucky. But the idea was just to have somewhere to put our gear and and then go away and travel for I don't know six months, ten months of the year.
0: Yeah, I want to come back to that. But but first, let's sort of jump back to getting on the road to begin with. That, that first decision, when you hit the road, you, you weren't planning on doing endless travel. That, you, that wasn't your oh, plan. No.
2: Oh, no. I mean, no. I mean, we, we had, we had, we've been saving as much money as we could for two years. And we genuinely, we genuinely said, it'll be a year to two. Um, and we both actually thought probably about 16 months was realistic. But I remember so clearly thinking that 16 months was going to feel like forever because, you know, we had a mortgage and we had a home. We, we rented it out to begin with. Um, we sold off pretty much everything else, but we had we had, had a business still, which I'd sold shares in. There was every intention to return after 16 months. It was basically going to be have an adventure, you know, do something different, but effectively to, to press the reset button uh, mentally. Because uh, we were, we were, but we know we had a stressful few years, and we just needed to come back, refocused, renewed, reinvigorated, re-inspired. Um, there was never the intention to to go longer than sixteen months to two years because
1: that's crazy. We, we just didn't <laughs>
2: see how that could be possible.
1: And also, you 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 just don't think like that. It's not going to be um, a possibility. You don't have enough money for anything no. like that. We we had just about enough to to possibly squeeze out sixteen. 18 months um and then after that uh, we'd return back hopefully refreshed um, and go back into our house and maybe rethink careers but um yeah and then we would we settle back in and that that was the whole plan but 16 months passes. Very quickly when you're on the well, road. Well,
0: well, and, and the way that you left, I mean, you're saying you saved money, so you clearly weren't planning. You, there was nothing set up there for passive income or anything like that while you're on the road. You eventually no. did change that. You had you had to find a way to make money in the road because your 16 months comes up, and you've made the decision to stay on the road. What was the decision? What, was it like a, a light bulb going off? Where you guys just wake up one morning and you think we can't go back, or or what? Or did you I bump don't into something?
2: I don't think, no, I'd love to say it was a lightbulb moment because there's a a drama to that. But we planned 16 months and we planned on visiting 122 countries and visiting all seven continents. And basically, after 16 months, we had (laughs) gone through Europe, gone through Scandinavia, reached Nordcap, explored western, uh, northwestern Russia, which at the time was pretty unusual. Blasted back through Europe because we'd been there um, as adults on vacation, and we w- we wanted to get to Africa. Uh, and sixteen months came and went, and we were we were in Cape Town, but by that time, um, both of us we already we already knew I think maybe eight or nine months into the journey that we wanted to go for longer, because without wanted to sound overly romantic. We were having such a good time, not just because of that sense of I'm on holiday and it's a long one, but we were different people. We were different people with each other. We were different mm-hmm. people with people that we didn't know, that we were interacting with. We liked ourselves better as as homeless wanderers on motorcycles. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the conversations you have and the people that you meet and the interest of the bikes draw. it is addictive. But
1: we both... Luckily, both of us came to the same realization. We weren't ready. We, we hadn't. It would be one of these things. We sacrificed such a lot to, to make the plans and, and be on the road for that period of time that to go back and go, well, we've done the time that we said, now it's back. It would have been always a what if. What if we had stayed on the road? What if we hadn't made that decision? Um, and I, th- I think because we were both almost egging each other on, it wasn't as almost <laughs> we were definitely it wasn't as difficult a decision as I think some would imagine. It wasn't a cataclysmic
2: no. moment of okay, and it was just okay. Shall we? Yeah, sure. Are you sure? Are you sure? Yeah, I'm sure. Okay. Well. Tell you what, let's go for another six months and see what happens.
1: Do you it, want to do that? Yeah, okay. There was never this plan to go, well, now we're going to go for another 10 years. Um, that sort it, of evolved it was, with,
2: with time. It
1: did. Yeah. Well, let's say six months.
0: But you mentioned about being different or different on the road mm-hmm. from what you were at home. Can you talk about what difference is, Lisa, I mean, particularly in what you see with Simon?
1: Um, Simon was always very focused and in his younger years, very money hungry. You know, as he said, it was money that was going to provide the solutions to a lot of things. Um, he was very driven again, not just by money, but by succeeding in things that he put his mind to. And he still is very much the same way in the, in that I, if I put my mind to something, I, I want to do my best at it, of course, but he changed. He, he was very, um, a bit pent up, frustrated, a little angry at things. Uh, when he first left, and I think that was from running his own businesses um can get you like that dealing with all the bureaucracy etc and then on the road, he started to i would say relax I, was,
2: and, I had no patience,
1: yeah, no patience at all, but prior um but yeah, he relaxed he became um obviously focused on the journey um but less pen, less pent up I think that was.
2: Less pent up, less angry. Yeah. More forgiving.
1: Yeah, more, much more forgiving and way
2: more patient. I thought I remember. I
1: was going to say a lot more patient. Yeah.
0: Simon, how about you? In Lisa, what did you see?
1: Um,
2: I saw Lisa relax. Probably for the first, probably for the first time, properly. Well, I met Lisa, she was at the tail end of a a, a, a divorce. Um, she was going through a tough time via business. Um, I think even if your business is going well, you're always going to have a tough time because you're always pushing yourself on to the next project, the next thing. Sure. Um, and I remember, I remember seeing Lisa for the very first time, and I think we were somewhere strange, like in the middle of north northwest Russia. So this wasn't a really this wasn't a stressless time. And she had the first giggling fit. Now, I'd never seen Lisa have a giggling fit. No, it was it was Norway. It was I Norway. Know what she you're had a twenty-five about. minute giggling mm-hmm. fit where she had to stop because she couldn't breathe. I didn't know it. I didn't know she had it in her. Um, basically, Lisa relaxed. She she became she became a lot funnier a lot more forgiving. I think a lot of the, a lot of the traits that she says that she saw in me were mirrored in what I was seeing in terms of, you know, all, all the best parts of the woman I loved simply became exaggerated, um, fleeting moments of laughter, um, that I thought were important or precious at home suddenly became hours worth. Um, and yeah, um, I can't say I fell in love with her more, but actually, yeah, I I probably did, and and the lifestyle and what it meant, and I, I know that we all talk about this incessantly, but this word keeps coming back: freedom. That that's how we felt, unburdened.
1: There are lots of different types of stresses and strains when you're on the road, um, as many as many of you know all out there, but um, it, it it's. They're different stresses. Um, yes, you have money worries. Yes, you have where where are you going to sleep that night? Um, how are you going to cope with all the different languages, uh, etc. The bureaucracy that, that happens when you're on the road, crossing the borders, etc. Um, the 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 slight dangers that might be out there, all the imagined uh, dangers. Um, but um, it, I. Yeah, all the way along, it was a sense of freedom.
2: But one of the things you and I have spoken about over the years, I mean, because when, when you're in a tent, you're in a snowstorm for a couple of days or a sandstorm, you tend to just talk endlessly. You know, you go through things. One of, the, one of the items that we picked up was that when you're on the road, especially if it's longer than a few weeks or a few months, and you don't have limitless cash, there are day-to-day problems. Some of them are small, some of them are large. But the difference between how you handle them and how they feel when you're on the road is that these problems are yours. Um, They're your responsibility, but they're also your choices, as opposed to the amount of frustration and angst and concern that can be built up. When somebody is doing something that you know absolutely isn't going to work or just does not make any sense, but you are powerless because of your position in life, to do anything about that unless you're willing to suffer those consequences. But on the road, yeah, things are not always comfortable, but they are your decisions and you can change them. And the fact that you have the option to change both large and incredibly small things in your life is wonderfully empowering. And that empowerment then gives you that sense of freedom.
1: Now, now all you have is me telling you what to do all the time. <laughs> yes,
2: dear. I, I wonder I wonder <laughs> if you guys have
0: ever thought of this before. I wonder if part of that feeling that you're describing there is the fact that when you're on the road, you're dealing with these things yourselves in isolation almost, whereas when you're dealing with them at home, you tend to be dealing with them in a more public forum. If you're dealing with work, you're dealing with things that are happening in your life, there tends to be more people involved with it. Like I say, on the road, you are it's just you guys sort of uh, almost cut off from the world.
2: And for us, I think that was quite empowering. I think I think how you I think you're absolutely right, but how you deal with that, how you interpret that is gonna is gonna change depending on the kind of person that you are, your history, your family, your upbringing. For Lisa and myself we're we're both fairly um, outgoing. me probably more so than Lisa, um, but we're also more than happy. To totally isolate ourselves, we are very insular, mm-hmm. and, that isn't, and that isn't necessarily a good thing when you're when you're, you know, um, when you're trying to fit back into society. I think also the fact that the problems on the road are very visceral. Um, the problems you're dealing with, whether it's a visa for a country in a few weeks' time, or I've got a puncture, I've got to fix this. There is an amount of effort that you expend in the moment. It either works or it doesn't. If it works, great, there's the reward. If it doesn't work, you adjust course, you correct, and you find a solution. Whereas family, day-to-day, office, work workplace again, you I am I remember feeling very, very frustrated that I was expending so much energy on problems that or projects rather that really weren't terribly important that I wasn't ever getting any reward for for.
0: You mean at home before you left?
2: Yeah, yeah, especially in the, especially in the workplace. Hmm. Um, lots, of, lots of effort without any direct re- reward, whereas, you know, when, you, when you're repairing a, a puncture for the first time, okay, it's going to take you 10 times as long. But when you get it done, you get it done, there's a sense of achievement, and the reward is your motorcycle can now take you places again. It's, it's very simplistic. Um,
1: I think it, for me it was, it was just the simplicity of life. You're totally responsible for your own, for your own decisions. If you make a wrong one, well, it, it could be a, a pretty bad result. Um, but you just have, I'm going to make this decision. It should hopefully be an informed one. You discuss it. And when you're on the road, this is, uh, that made me, it made me very happy. I am responsible for my own decisions. Nobody else is telling me what to do.
0: I almost chuckled out loud when you said you guys are fairly outgoing. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I think I think you're a little more than fairly outgoing. I, and I think that the personality obviously has to play into something like this. I mean, if you guys didn't have the personalities that you have when you started, do you really think you'd still be doing it now?
1: Oh gosh, that's that's a difficult one because it's almost impossible to
2: I can't imagine I can't imagine being any anybody else, but I don't know. I mean i I guess I guess that. Perhaps not, because the person you are al- alters how you how you perceive the experiences that you're given in life. Um, and it would be, you know what, here's the answer. The answer is mm-hmm. no, if we were not the people that we are. Um, we've, we've had so many friends and family say, okay, after the accident in the Amazon, I'd have been on the first plane home. Thank you very much. I've had my adventure. It was great, but that was too close for comfort. It didn't even cross um,
1: our minds. Not for a
2: second.
0: Mm. Let me just jump back once again here, though, because you made the decision at 16 months to stay on the road. The first question that's going to pop up for anyone, and it did for you guys too, I'm sure, is, okay, now what do we do for money? You said you had enough for 16 months, maybe a little bit more Mm -hmm. if you were real frugal. But there has to be a a bit of a mind shift here of saying, okay, if we're going to do this, how do we do this
1: well the the, the first um, the first year um, we were very much it, it was just vacation time we we did what we wanted we we did go to restaurants and of course we are going through um, part of Europe as well at this time which we knew uh, very well and, and we we treated ourselves we had fun but it was when we <sighs> And we did hit uh, South Africa uh, for the second time um, and because we came down uh, the West Coast, uh, South Africa, and then back up again halfway up through the East Coast before returning to South Africa. Um, and I think at that point we went, okay, we are going to continue. We're going to ship over to South America and carry on. That is when things changed. Well, we
2: still had a little bit of money left at that point, but we knew that if we went to South America... We did not have enough money to see us through
1: mm-hmm.
2: even even eight months in and South that's America. that's when we
1: made the decision uh, to sell our house. It had been rented out and we'd been very lucky. Uh, we had some very good renters. So we didn't have to have lots of people swapping in and out. We had the same people. And they
2: took good care of it.
1: And they took good care of it. My parents came out uh, to see us in South Africa and we discussed things with them. And we went, we can't come back. And they went we are not surprised. Um, and we talked about selling the house. Um, and my father was do our power of attorney. Scared? And um, he he did the whole process for us. We were exceedingly lucky. We, we didn't have to come back and, and, and do any of the documentation or any of the selling process. Was I scared?
2: Were you scared at the idea of selling the house?
1: I was relieved, actually. Really? <laughs> yeah. Why, why
2: relief? That's
0: your last sort of um, bit of security. Yeah. Exactly. In, in most I was
1: relieved, mind. but but no, I didn't see it as security. Uh, we were still having to pay the mortgage uh, through the renting, and
2: I'd forgotten uh, yeah. that the house had been empty for nine months.
1: Yeah. So we the, then the renters had left, and um, we wanted long term renters, and. Um, the, the house had been, yeah, empty. So we were still paying the oh, mortgage with no rent money coming in. And we knew that we could rent it out at some point, but it was that at some point. Um, but that
2: would have meant probably going back to the UK, taking yeah. care of a few bits and pieces. Um, the company that I had sold the shares in wasn't doing as well as it should have done. And we both realised that if we went back to the UK, again, partly because of the kind of people we are, we were going to get so embroiled and so focused and and the chances of us finding the strength and the energy to break free a second time was going to be unlikely. Oh, that's
0: interesting. So this was like a, you know, a make or break thing for you. You're thinking yeah. you're going to give up your life if you go back and get caught up yes. in everything. Yeah. yeah. Did, did the, um, was there enough equity in the home to, to take you guys for a long time?
1: No, um. After we after we paid off the mortgage, um, etc., and all the legal bills that come with that, um, it it we had, well, we gauged we had enough for if we were, if
2: we were, super, if we careful, were super careful, we had enough for two years, two mm. and a half years. Yeah, mm. yeah. So that's a that's um. a
0: fair bit. I mean, that that sort of gives you a at least a certain amount of time to feel comfortable in, but.
1: And then and then the but then the traveling just changed totally. We got out of vacation mode and when we hit South America, uh it was right here we are. Um we're in real traveler mode. Uh, not a lot of money. Always while camping, fending for yourselves, etc. Uh, steering clear of a lot of the touristy, more touristy elements uh, that you you have going through a lot of South America. I mean, obviously, we did we did visit quite a few of those areas, but we didn't do any of the you know the the long treks that you you pay out a lot of money for, etc. We just did anything, everything on our own. Anything to do
2: with getting a guide. But the thing to mention, Jim, there was when we sold the house. Um, we managed to make that money last for two, two and a half years, which, yeah, you're right, it's, it's a good amount of time. But even when we sold the house and we, we, we liquidated our investment, we weren't thinking, okay, this is all the money we can blow on traveling. Uh, we've, we, at, that, at that point, we were still planning on taking some of the money from the property sale, putting it to one side, because surely... When we returned back to the UK after two or three years, we were going to need some revenue in order to rent somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, we weren't thinking, okay well, you now we've built up some some, some some savings, some belongings. I had the accident. it all went. We know how we know how concerned we were then. We'd worked like crazy, got ourselves back into a situation where we were financially stable again, had had a home, had a house, um, our our intention wasn't just to blow all that money because mentally that would be a huge step back to the same point as when we had the accident. Except mm-hmm. it would be worse because we would have chosen to have done it. So we weren't thinking of it, of it, of it, of it as a a piggy bank of of cash ready to spend on traveling forever and ever.
0: So what was the point then where, where you, you sort of sat down and said, okay, we got to come up with other ways of making money. And you start to put on a, a creative hat and think, think how can we make money
2: on the road? Probably the first time I hit the USA.
1: Yes, uh, when we hit the USA um, and we dropped off at a, a BMW motorcycle dealership and I think it was San Diego, wasn't it? Am I wrong? Am I remembering?
2: It depends which story you're going to tell.
1: Okay. First presentation? Yeah.
2: Uh, Ventura County
1: Okay Well we were heading on up Through California And um, We We needed some work done On the On the motorcycles And we'd kind of Turned up all grubby And we'd been recommended This one place And It um, uh, we we wanted to do some kind of, you know, how 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 much is it gonna cost for this? They were very interested in where we'd been and what we've been doing and a South African was, was was running it and we got chatting to him and uh, Because you guys um, have been to South Africa. Yeah, and uh spoke some
2: Afrikaans. words
1: in Afrikaans, I won't go into which words we spoke. Um and um, it was you do know all the bad words i do know all the bad words yes <laughs>
2: but he serviced the bike, to come back in a couple of days we came back in a couple of days we were kind of biting our nails waiting waiting for this bill because the work that was being done was beyond my skill set at the time and he said uh, yeah okay you're good to go and we said okay you know um can we pay you in cash or a transfer of some kind he said no 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 i said what, what do you mean no we love what you're doing we we, we this is fantastic. This is what these bikes are built for. Uh, we've been to your website, we've had a look, we wanted to support you. Off you go. It's all on us. Uh, that was that just absolutely blew us away. And I think a couple of days later, I went back and we said to Pete, Look, you guys aren't a charity. Um, we really appreciate the help that you've given us here. Um, is there something we can do for you? My business, one of my businesses used to be marketing. I said, Look, how about we put on a, a simple show and tell, share some photographs. Um, you bring in some cheese and wine we'll share our story and uh it'll be a marketing thing for you bring some footfall through the door that that's fine um i think we were all expecting 20 or 30 people a hundred people later um everything went well and um then we had then we had emails coming in from other dealers saying hey um do you fancy coming and sharing your story with us? So, did you get? Did you make money
0: off that first one? Was it a thing where you guys split the, the tape? No, no, it was no. just no. just for them. No. So it was kind of a shocker yeah, for it. you. They obviously had good pull. They're pulling in hundred people right off the bat, and you're thinking there's a there's a, a demand here. There's an interest.
2: Well, bearing bearing in mind that we're talking we're talking two thousand and six or seven or five seven. 2006, 2007. So Facebook really hasn't found its legs yet. Um, there were not an awful lot of people out there travelling. Um, you, you certainly couldn't go onto websites and find, you know, a thousand people at any given time going around the world sharing their experiences. So there was a degree of novelty back then. Um, I mean, when we were doing our research before setting out, I think we managed to speak to three people that had done any kind of long-term motorcycle travelling. That was Sam Manicom from the UK. And Chris and Aaron Rattay um, uh, from uh, from the U.S. Um, so there was an awful lot of people were hungry to find out about how you could travel around the world or around a continent on motorcycles because, unlike today, it was not as commonplace.
0: But there was Horizons Unlimited. It was around back then.
1: Horizons was yes, horizons, definitely.
2: Horizons were definitely definitely around, but I think it was much smaller. It was much more niche. Um, it was it was basically everyone jumping on the cheapest bike they could find throwing on a um oh what's the word throwing on a uh, a sheepskin on the on the seat um, and and although although horizons was around the people even posting and sharing on horizons were people that really wanted to go out and were were researching because they were going to do something um there's not there's there's certainly not the chance of finding a hundred people who are absolutely going to travel who will come out to uh, a cheese and biscuit evening mm. at, a, at a bike dealership.
0: Well, probably um, the people who show up to something like that, they're not necessarily all interested in traveling. They're interested no. in the idea of it. I mean, it's why people watch yeah. long way Round. So many people watch yeah. it. The idea of it is amazing, but to actually get out there and do it yourself, it may not be your thing, but, but you mentioned website, you mentioned that the, the dealership saw your website. So what was the idea of the website then?
2: That honestly, Jen, the, the idea of the website was so simple. I I am intrinsically lazy. Uh, there wasn't social media when we left, and the idea of emailing friends and family individually just sounded crazy. So we just wrote diary and put it up and online put up. and put pictures up. Um, and honestly, initially it was uh, it was a chore, and it was something we did just to keep friends and family abreast. Within a few months, it was becoming an addiction because we were experiencing seeing things that were just blowing us away and exciting us to the extent that we needed to share how we felt, what we were seeing, where we were riding, the people we were meeting, the landscapes that were, you know, coming over the next horizon. Um, So it went from being a chore to an absolute pleasure. I'd never kept the diary, hadn't built a website, um, but by the time we got to the USA, we'd been on the road for three years And for a lot of people, three years is a really, really long time. And we'd kept up a daily diary and we'd taken thousands and thousands of photographs and they were all all online.
0: You guys mentioned that um, you had this big accident. And I know we talked about this before, but just briefly, what was
2: that? Which one? Uh, Where you broke your back. (laughs) Oh, yeah.
1: so, I like that. Which one? <laughs> I know it. Did, it,
2: did, it wasn't going to sound as cheesy, but there's there's been a few. Um, so when we when we in, in South America, um, we were umming and ahhing. We had intended to do the Darien Gap, um, which we know was going to be tricky. We tried to get in contact with Halgay Pedersen. That that hadn't worked out. Um, but there was a route through the heart of the Amazon jungle. It was an old an old road that had been maintained but was closed way back in the late 70s, early 80s. It was just too expensive to maintain. And so for 25 years, the jungle had been reclaiming this north to south route from the capital city of Manaus down to Porto Velo. And from what we could tell at the time, um, it had never been attempted by large capacity motorcycles. Um, About eight months earlier, uh, two German guys, a Swiss guy, had tried to do it on small 250s. Um, one of them had become badly injured. I don't have the information. The other two had made it, but they had put all their bags uh, and their bits and pieces on a boat that had sailed south through the Amazon and they were going to meet up. We thought, you know, we've we've been through Africa. Uh, we've been through, we've survived this far. Um we thought we were going to be okay. We researched. No, Lisa researched a lot.
1: Well, I actually managed to get in contact. I, I don't know how I got in contact with them. It was a local. Uh, it was a local uh, motorcycle um, group. Um, they were off roaders, um, the dirt bikers, basically, um, and I think that they were based in Belén and Manaus. And northeast Brazil. Northeast Brazil. And I started uh, chatting to them, basically, about this route. And they gave me an awful lot of advice. And that was when they were saying about the water levels and the route, etc. And that this year uh, that we were looking at uh, had been the lowest water levels in 25 years. And that kind of grabbed my attention. And It was kind of like a now or never. And at that point, we were... We we were looking to do a, a different route. We didn't want to do. We'd already done the coastal route um, up through uh, Brazil, um, and we didn't really want to cut back down and do the same route. And if I remember rightly, we couldn't get over into uh, French Guiana. I don't think we could get over for some reason or other. But it's other. fair to say
2: we also we also liked the idea of of the the sheer challenge mm. of. Of making this route, and I'm not going to lie, the idea of being the first ones to to push a particular route open with a particular type of vehicle, um, we weren't going to be the first to do it ever. That's ridiculous. But the first to do it on big bikes, because um, there's there's not many of those opportunities out there. Um, it should have been it should have been a five day journey from the moment we left Manaus until we reached the first form of of, of human habitation. Slash in village, um, but the upshot was that the bridges that were once there and maintained were no longer there or maintained. And on the morning of the second day, the worst bridge we'd found so far um, was in front of us. It had rained all night, and it was a case of well, we're gonna we're gonna give this a go or turn back. Okay, we're gonna carry on. Now, normally, on the previous two or three bridges, that were pretty, that were pretty poor. Uh, we'd taken all our bags off, our panniers off, walked everything across to the other side and then slowly pushed the bikes across. Um, but that wasn't an option on this one large bridge because we were 40 or 50 feet above the water, very steep banks. There was no way of getting the bikes and our gear into the water and up the other side. Um, there wasn't much left other than basically the, the the tree trunks that were there as the as the vertical supports. Any wood that was horizontally going across those that you would normally walk on was was just disintegrating. It was so just there was crumbling.
1: No, no way to walk uh, by the, the bike side across. of the bike. Yeah.
2: So Lisa said, "Well, do you think you can you can ride the bikes across?" And me, being the eternal optimist, said, "Yeah, sure." Um, I needed the engines are running on both bikes because there was a substantial drop from the ground to the, uh, sorry, there was a substantial rise rather from the ground up onto the tree trunk. Um, But I I saw it in my head. I can pop the front wheel up. Um, I'll then stay, I'll just focus on the other side of the bridge. I mean, I ran through it. I ran through it in my head a dozen times visualizing it because all the books I'd read said that's what you were meant to do.
0: Did you visualize Um, what could go wrong at all? Did you run that through your head?
2: Nope, it's not helpful. That's the last thing I wanted to do. Um, I've got a pretty good imagination. I mean... Well, I mean, I no, knew- part of
0: that is assessing your your danger. I mean, so you have to think I that, know. you know, if something goes wrong here, what's the worst that can happen? Can I handle that?
2: Honestly, again, I am a ridiculous optimist. I figured the bike would go over and I would jump clear and I was going to maybe... Worst case scenario is I, I break an ankle, I do something to my legs, you know, I'm, I'm, ju- I'm jumping clear. I'll, I'll, have, I'll have time to get away from the bike, I'll, I'll jump into the water. Okay, the bike might be completely toast, but you know what? We can get back to Manaus on Lisa's bike and then we'll figure something else, else from there. Um, not in my wildest imaginings did I imagine that the rear wheel would drop through the wood at such a slow pace that... The bike would then just go over because when the when the back when the wheels dropped through the wood um I got on the accelerator the wheels just span against the against the wood, which was just a sponge effectively so there was no traction to be had and the bike just leant left, but it leant left relatively quickly and instead of giving me a chance to jump off the bike, it just threw me it just threw me sideways. And I remember going through it's the air.
1: It you off.
2: And I remember thinking, okay, uh, I put my hands out, actually. I remember really clearly going through the air, putting my hands out to brace the impact. And I remember it going through my head. Hang on a second. The bike going to land on me and that's going to kill me. And instinctually, I pulled my hands back in boom, that was it. I was gone. I remember my helmet compressing onto my shoulders. That was all she wrote. I was, I was out then for an hour. How did you land? He right on the head. very, but not on the side. I landed on the very top. So the helmet compressed equally on both of my shoulders. That's an awfully long way for a helmet to compress, bearing in mind I'm six, four, I've got a long neck.
1: I remember seeing absolutely everything in slow motion. I could see it all happening. There was nothing I could do. I was directing Simon up onto the bridge and, you know, because it was, it was getting a large bike up onto a, um, a tree trunk and, um, yeah, I, there was nothing I could do. I just saw it all happen in slow motion.
0: Lisa, though, when, when mm. to get up there, did it, did it pop into your head at all that? Hey, wait a second. This is, this is not a good idea.
1: Well, it it was it was either do it or turn around and go back, and um, we we'd had a a horrible horrible time riding getting to that point, and really it was in our minds. Oh dear God! I don't really want to ride that again. Yeah. Um. It, it, it was a it was awful it'll up get, to that it'll point. It after will get this. better. Yeah. It'll get better. It'll get better. Oh, this bridge will be okay. We'll be sensible. We've we've done them before. Um. So there was always that positive. Um, outlook. But we
2: genuinely thought um, we could do it. Yeah. And I, I, t- today I still think that's the case.
1: We could still do it. Yes. It was just it was just one of those things. It was it was. The the a piece of rotten wood. Mm-hmm. Had it not been rotten, it would we, have be been fine. Had, had I been straight. two
2: inches to the right, mm-hmm. an inch to the left, had I had I used the other tree trunk, had I put a stone, there's always, there's always coulda, woulda, shoulda. The reality was just that at that one particular moment in time, everything came together, created a perfect storm, and with you know, it's the old joke, shit just happens if you go out looking for adventure you have to bear in mind that it does have teeth and there are consequences. I was simply lucky enough to have Lisa with me to survive the consequence.
0: And there's all kinds of instances. I mean, mean, it's very easy to judge this from a distance and listen to this and say, wow, that sounds kind of crazy. But it's as simple Mm -hmm. as a knife sliding off the counter and you reach out instinctively and catch it and you think, oh, that was really close. That was kind of a stupid thing to do Mm -hmm. as opposed to the next time it happens and it goes into your foot. You know, so
2: (laughs) it's... it's, we had prepared for, for this journey. This wasn't just... Uh, yeah, I think it's really important to get across. This wasn't just oh, we want to be the first to do this. I think we can do it. Let's go see what happens. We had so, extra yeah. water, extra fuel, different maps, different GPS. We had pulleys, ropes. We'd spoken to the embassies. We'd spoken to our parents. If you don't hear from us by this day, do this. We bought extra ropes, extra pulleys. We were prepared to literally pull and manhandle we had our an bags over had, obstacles. Uh, yeah, we
1: had Everything. We had enough uh, dried food to be able to support us uh, through the uh, up to five days that we knew that we would be out there Um, and yeah I mean we would I'd even said to my parents had you if you weren't going to hear from us um, I think I took it to something like um, 11 days if you don't hear from us in 11 days there is an issue we're going to be entering at this point exiting at this point um, and um, we'll be along this road road at some point if, if, if you need to send out troops to come and find us. Um, as it was, my father hadn't been um, keeping my mother totally posted with his concerns. And he had been checking in um, every day to try and hear from us. Um, and he was at the point of going, okay, now it's the embassy time. He was very worried. Um, and that was the same morning that we contacted him. So, yeah, needless to say, they were exceedingly uh, relieved. Um, and um, it's fair
2: to say that all the parents were.
1: All the, yeah, all the parents were. <laughs> but he was the first one to hear from us. Mm. Um, and um, but he was on the verge of following those instructions that we had actually laid out. Um, but so it, it wasn't a oh we're going to do this and oh if something happens ah, well it'll get sorted somebody'll come and find us no we have done a lot of research and a lot of shall we shan't we is it a good idea do we have the skills and do we also have the resources behind us uh, should something go wrong
0: All right yeah. so it was, it was quite calculated I, yes. I, I want to take I want to take a quick break here just just for a minute when we come back I, I want to get into what happened afterwards and and Lisa, what you're looking at. So let's, um, let's, let's let's just take a break.
1: Okay. Thanks. All right.
0: Okay. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. The best cold weather socks you can buy are Pearly's possum socks. Okay. Maybe it's not a secret. Maybe I've said it before in the show, but, but the thing is I'm really taken by these socks. I've been wearing them for months now because it's cold where I am and they are my cold weather sock. They are the official sock for Adventure Rider Radio. The reason we did that is because I'm so impressed with them. And I've been into outdoor stuff since I was kind of knee-high to a grasshopper, if you know what that saying means, and quite small. And and I've never come across a pair of socks that keep my feet warm like these do. For riding your bike, it's the best thing you can do for yourself. Get yourself a pair of Pearly's Possum Socks at pearlyspossumsocks.com. Anytime you're dealing with them, if you're inquiring, buying, whatever, mention that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio, pearlyspossumsocks.com. I probably don't have to tell you that your foot pegs are a key component in controlling your bike, but they're also important for comfort. Now, two of the largest foot pegs, professionally produced foot pegs that I've ever seen are the IMS Products ADV1 and ADV2 foot pegs. The ADV1 and the ADV2 are designed specifically for adventure riders. They're large platforms that give you extra leverage and control, but as well as comfort for riding any road. The ADV1 and ADV2 foot pegs by IMS Products. Check them out at imsproducts.com and make sure anytime you're dealing with them emailing, phone, whatever, they, just mention that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. imsproducts.com roaddogpub.com. That's the website that's going to lead you to some great motorcycle books like Graham Fields, In Search of Greener Grass, Eureka, and Different Natures. Ron Davis has Shiny Side Up, Zoe Cano's Hellbent for Paradise, and other books. And she's got her latest book out is called Mini Escapades Around the British Isles. That's got some motorcycle and scooter adventures in it. Road Dog Publications specializes in motorcycle adventure books. Treat yourself to an adventure, sit back, grab a cup of coffee, and read a great adventure. Visit their website at roaddogpub.com and make sure you mention in there that you heard them at Adventure Rider Radio. Roaddogpub.com. Okay, so, um, the situation is Simon's off the bike. He's landed headfirst in the ground. Lisa, you've seen it happen. You're standing there. Can you talk about that?
1: Um, it was. It was all kind of a bit surreal. Really, um, I didn't panic. I mean, the, 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 you, you would think you'd, you'd kind of like, go, oh, my God, and, and break into screaming and shouting and crying. Uh, but it didn't really have any of that. Um, saw him go over. Um, he was out cold. Um, and my first thought was the bike. Uh, that, that sounds really strange. I was not worried if the bike was damaged. Um, I was worried because the bike's engine was still going and its wheels were spinning and it was it was toppling. Um, I was resting on the side of the bridge and I was very concerned that the momentum uh, would push it over and land on Simon. So my first thought was, try to reach the kill switch. But unfortunately, the spinning wheels were in the way. Um, it, it took quite a lot for me to, to actually get the kill switch. Um, and then the bike was still very, very precariously balanced. Um, and so go underneath the bridge and release all the straps. And as the bags came tumbling off um uh, stopping from sliding down the slick slope into uh the amazon river um it didn't cross my mind that underneath that bridge there may be all sorts of um um, weird and wonderful uh, snakes, (laughs) animals and yeah big tarantulas do you remember uh, the jaguar we'd seen the night before yeah, we saw Jackie the night before. It actually did cross my mind that he might be around and drag Simon off. Um, but um, yeah, it was. It, suddenly, I, I realised tarantulas and snakes and things. Um, but it didn't cross my mind at the time that I was doing it. Uh, focused I was focused on that once that was done and secure and the bags were off to the side I then went to see Simon and he was out cold um there wasn't anything I could do anyway um I couldn't I was was not going to remove his helmet or anything like that I wanted to speak to him before I made any you know uh, choices on that um I I I didn't even know if he was still alive. Uh, he was very grey. There was no colour uh, to his skin or his lips or anything. Um, but there definitely wouldn't have been had the bike gone on top of him. So that was the first priority. And then really breaking it down into small sections that your mind can cope with. If you try to look at the whole scenario, you would you would freak. Um, but you don't. You, you break it down into small sections. Right, I've done that. Now let's go and do this. Now let's see what he's like.
0: You know, the thing is, when you're talking about going after the bike, that is something you'd learn in standard first aid. The first thing you do is secure the scene to try and make sure that you're yeah. not going to get injured while trying to, to help Simon. So yeah. it's, it's, although it sounds, you know, we're, we're, I think people will listen to this and think that you wouldn't go check on him first, but it no. is the correct <laughs> thing to do to to yes. try and prevent the thing or at least mitigate the, the damage that, that can end up happening
2: to it. But, Especially where you're somewhere so remote, whereas if you, one of you hurt is hurt, and you can still go and get help. If you're both unconscious, mm-hmm. both hurt, then the consequences become a lot more deadly.
0: Sure. Lisa, you went down, you see him, you described him as looking grey. What do you do next?
1: Well, um... <laughs> speak to him, uh, find out whether or not he he's he can actually reply, which he couldn't, uh, find out whether or not he was breathing. And he was. It was very, very lightly. So in, I had that first wave of panic where I was thinking, oh, my God, he's not breathing. Um, but then, uh, yes, he was. And um, Really just wait for him to come around. I, I didn't move him. I didn't touch him. I didn't move his helmet. I didn't do anything at all. Um, And then when he came around, I was able to just try and find out, you know, was he able to move his fingers and toes? Can I interrupt you briefly?
2: Because I'm going to ask you a question. Mm -hmm. I've I've asked you a couple of times, but I'm always surprised by the answer. Had you, you told me that you were aware, you'd already calculated and mentally come to terms with whether I was alive or not. If I did not regain consciousness if I did, if I was not able to stand, you were going to have to leave me there and ride back to Manaus because there was no way you could get my frame on the back of your bike and then ride the 200 miles back to Manaus, bearing in mind you knew the conditions we'd mm. ridden thus far. Mm. I can't wrap my head around the situation being reversed.
1: Well, I'm not saying that I could have actually have done that, but that's what i was contemplating it's 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 different contemplating it and then actually doing it um our marriage has just improved right there (laughs) (laughs) but but i think you i think i think if that had been the case i think you would have to you, you it wouldn't be a quick decision but i think you would have to then sit back and go yeah i've got to do this i have no choice no, it's the um, only,
0: it's the only thing you can do. Make him comfortable yeah. trying to and, and put him in a safe position, you know, yeah. if you can and mm-hmm. go for and help.
1: Then, and then go off. Yes. Yeah. But luckily it didn't come to that. Um, and at that time when he did eventually come round and, uh, he, he said, yeah, I can move my, my hands and my feet and we're like, Oh, great. That, that's good. And, um, managed to, Assist him back up the slope, so he was moving, um, and then he passed out again. Um, I passed
2: out every single time yeah. I moved. Yeah, for about four and a half hours. Mm.
1: And so, you know, lying him down and um, off the floor, um, there was a, a a little tiny structure that we had slept under the night before, a little um, a grass,
2: grass and bamboo something. Yeah.
1: Shelter really, um, and uh, there was a, a plank of, of wood there, and so I propped that up at an angle, and he was able to rest up against that, so not relying completely on the floor. um And we just waited it out. Swallowed um, an obscene
2: amount of painkillers yeah. and anti-inflammatories. I had
1: some very very good medications uh, that I was carrying uh, with me, and um, then gave we, him some of those.
2: And then after a very long time, we um, had a very long chat. And uh, decided, because I am the optimist, that it was going to get better. And the idea of going back was just far too miserable.
1: Because we knew how bad it was. And
2: uh, we slowly but surely carried the bags over to the other side of the bridge. And I then got on both bikes and I rode both the bikes across the bridge. And I have no memory of doing it at all nothing not even a glimpse
0: yeah, you know something seriously wrong though obviously if you're if you're passing out and you're in extreme pain it, it's not something that's just going to
1: go well, away we we actually thought that that he had dislocated, dislocated. his uh. neck cuz i could actually feel um, that there was something not quite right uh, in his neck, and with the pain, well, the
2: fact that I could move my fingers and toes. Yeah, he could
1: move everything, and he was walking and talking, and he he picked up a bag and put it on his shoulder. Little did we realise, uh, he shouldn't ever have done anything like that. But mm-hmm. there there was no there was no. Oh I yes, he's in, broken his
2: neck. I was in an awful lot of pain. Um, I mean, the pain the pain was was bad enough that it was actually forcing my body to close down. So. Half a dozen times a day for the following three weeks, I would just pass out from the pain. When the pain meds worn off, um, I could try to describe the pain better, but I really haven't got the words for it. But it wasn't. Once I got the bikes to the other side, as I said, I, I don't have any memory of doing that at all. Uh, I have some vague recollections. At the end of that day, I was still trying to fix my bike because the subframe was damaged. The bike wouldn't start. Um, it was a total of it was a total of three weeks from the accident to reaching reaching hospital
1: um yes that that was into sao paulo we we reached to mitre um which is the first point of call after that track um how many days was that was that i think it was eight was it eight days something like that mm. um but one one thing to point out and i i, I always here a, a lot of Photographs of, 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 of people now online and uh, travellers now online. And, you know, and they're, they're crossing an area and, and all their kit is off, the helmet is off and they're struggling over a particular area because they're in a hot environment, etc. For some reason or other, Simon had full kit on, he had his motocross boots on, he had his helmet on and he had his gloves on. It was hot. We were talking about it was
2: 100, 110 yep. with and 100% humidity. And the humidity
1: was just, oh, just so debilitating. But he had every piece of kit on. And had he not had his helmet, had he decided, oh, just put my, my, my jacket down and my helmet and gloves because it is so hot. And no one's
2: going to see me.
1: Um, and then I'll just quickly pop the bridge over. i have a lot more easy manoeuvrability. It won't be sweating into my helmet, etc. Uh He would be dead but he had his helmet on. And Mm -hmm. I think that that, that's what saved his life. So it's always one of these things, yes, you might be more comfortable, but you might only be around for that short period of time. And comfort versus um, (laughs) longevity? I know which one I would choose.
0: So what does this change for you guys?
1: People
2: expect that it's... People expect that it had this cataclysmic, life-altering effect and... It just didn't. Um, I think the biggest change was again positive. Um, our, our relationship changed in the following in the following few months when we both began to replay in our heads what what we had what we had survived. But even today, when I when I think back on all of this, okay, it's it's not an awful lot of fun. But the overriding emotion that I have when I remember this particular part of the journey is pride. Um, not pain, not angst, um, because that's just part of life. You know, shit just happens. But I am so proud of how Lisa and I, but Lisa especially, dealt with this, because if, if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be here. I, I would be dead. Um, but the fact that we relied on each other 100%, and more importantly, we came through for each other. Um, we had a pretty close relationship before um, the trip and before this particular episode, um, but the level of trust and the bond that we have today, I think, is because we've been through situations like this um, and, we've, and we've survived. Um, the level of respect I have for my wife is immense.
1: And I had absolute faith that Simon could get the bikes over, that he could mend the motorcycle, even though its wiring was totally fried. Um, I knew that he could mend it. I knew that we would get out of it. Well I, I knew you would. And um it was just, yeah, this is this is not the end. Um nothing bad, nothing worse is going to happen. We're gonna get out of this. And I had utter faith in the fact that he was going to be able to do it and as he said he didn't think he could but yeah i knew he could we'd sit with a wiring loom and, and 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 work along all the destroyed wires because when the bike was over on its side all the fluids had decided to take the um uh, the route of least he, resistance. resistance yes and decided to oh the wiring loom looks a good way to travel and so they fried all the all the fluids and the water and the gas etc traveled up the wiring loom and fried it when simon then the turned the engine on wiring Um, And uh, so we just sat there with a little diagram uh, that we had pulled out from our Haynes manual And um, yeah, I'd ripped out certain pages It didn't carry the whole Haynes manual, I'm terribly sorry, Mr Haynes But um, we we carried certain uh, things that we thought we might need And wiring diagram was one, thank God And um, we just sat on the side of the road and tried to figure it out And I knew that we would don't know how I knew,
0: but I knew. Afterwards, you mentioned that you, you ended up getting to a hospital. That's where you find out that Simon had broken his back and broken his neck. Mm-hmm. And Broken yes. his neck. Yeah. yeah. It was, if,
2: I mean, to, to put this into perspective, um, do you remember the? Do you remember the old Superman, Christopher Reeve? Yeah. had um, Exactly. Obviously, sadly, sadly passed away after being paralysed. Exact same break. Exact same situation. Um, so mine, mine was uh, a dislocation and fracture of C6 and C7. Um, and it was a, it's a horizontal um, break right through C7. Um, so by day by day three, no, by day two, um, I've woken up and I'm paralyzed on my left-hand side and I'm blind in my left eye. So at that point, things got a lot more serious other than just this is very, very, very painful. Mm-hmm. And then but once we got to Sao Paulo and they, uh, they did some checks very, very quickly, it turned out that the blindness and the paralysis was because the C, but my C7 had begun to open. C6 vertebrae was now physically pushing forwards and dislocating and pressing on my spinal cord. So that was the the blindness and the blurry vision and the um, and the paralysis.
1: So when you think about it, he would had exactly the same issues as Christopher Reeve. Mhm. But he was walking and riding his motorcycle. Well, riding his motorcycle um with frequent. I'm gonna pass out and stop and fall off into the thick Amazon mud, which then made me have to try to pick up his bike. And after which I'd put the side stand down on my bike and my bike would just sink into the mud so my bike would fall over too and then you would try to get both bikes up and you would both fall over because it's so slippy. Then you would lose your boot because the amount of mud would you're suck really over the top of the boot and suck your foot down so that when you came to move, it was like you were in cement. So then you would fall flat on your Do you face. you remember how many zip ties um, we
2: went through? So we ended up, zi- so my, my, the rear of my bike, the actual frame had completely snapped on both sides. We held it together with, with zip with ties. Straps, you hear about yeah. this and you're like, that's not possible. Oh, it really is. And, this is and when we zip tied gas-
1: the tape comes Hang in. Hang on, we
2: zip-tied <laughs> my hand to the handlebar because I couldn't grip.
0: Man, that is...
1: Why are we laughing? So
0: it, I, was just gonna, I was wondering, how, how long does it take after an event like this where you can la- look back and laugh about it?
2: Oh, we were laughing within days. Once, oh, we, really? got to Sao pa- once we got to Sao Paulo.
0: So if, if you went to this, let's say you're out on a trip now and you come to that same situation, not that you know when anything's going to happen, but you came to this, the, the same bridge, the same route... Would you still tackle it the same way? Yes.
1: I would think so, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. Still- we are still the same people as we were when we approached it for the first time. Right. Um, uh, had we done something, so, so now, had we already done that part of the journey and we had the accident, the only thing that would make me think twice about doing such a route, not the bridges, not the bad bridges, not the animals, uh, nothing like that, but... The mud. I do not need to ride mud up to my armpits. Orange mud. Ever again. I've done it, and I know that I don't like it, and I have no need to do it. Thank you.
2: (laughs) I think if we look back and said, okay, look, we really ballsed up here. We really made some a a silly mistake. Um, We need to reevaluate. Did we? Did we chronically overestimate our our own skill set?
1: and were we then, not prepared?
2: Then, then that would be different. But no, I, I, I have no regrets at all. Um, and again, I've said this. I said this before. I say it again. If if we could do the whole trip again, and we had to deal with the really bad stuff just to get the great stuff, there would be no hesitation. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, no, we. I. But we would. We would make the same choices again. It well, was just bad luck
0: that's because you know the outcome you know you you, everything turned out fine if if it were the outcome wasn't guaranteed said well you know you you can go across this bridge and you may go off but you aren't necessarily you may not recover i mean you know what i mean if it was all up in the air again that's that's something completely different i mean i think when you look back i don't think it is jim you think you're willing to take that um that that same risk again like, I mean, the thing is, yeah. I, I know it's a fluke. I know that I, I don't like, I don't think it's, you you know, you, that you guys were irresponsible to yourselves or anything like that. That's, that's not my thought process because I've done many things that um, could be looked at the same way. Um, I didn't break my, anything major like that. But I mean, I've, I've done many things where if something went wrong, somebody could look at it and go, well, that was really stupid. But um, at the time it's not, not necessarily, you know, and, and I think danger is one of those things that you have to assess uh, personally. But what I'm saying is that it's easy to look back and say, I would do all those rough things again if I, you know, if I knew that it it worked out to be the, um, that I experienced the good things. That's only because, you know, those rough things did work out.
2: Like it did work out. You you know, you're not going to go back. That's not how my brain works. Um, It's
1: not how mine works either.
2: Because first first of all, let's differentiate. Um, Yes, we knew it worked out. But when you ask, when you ask the question, I automatically took everything I knew and I worked really hard to push it to one side and answer as sensibly in terms of faced with the same situation. And that means the same number of unknowns and shit might go sideways. Can we, should we do this based on the information at hand, based on the confidence we had in ourselves? Yes, we would do Mm -hmm. the same again. Now, bearing in mind, it's not an easy yes, because for three weeks, my body is literally closing down because the pain gets so bad that you, you go unconscious. The next thing you're waking up under your bike with your wife slapping you on the face, trying to get you up. That was that. Those are some pretty serious consequences, and I don't think for a second that we're being glib or light about the the th- the three week hell ride to reach to reach hospital. But at the end of the day, if we've learned nothing, it's that there is a difference between danger um and risk and what we were looking at then and what we look at now in terms of our life choices are the risks and what are the downsides do we have do we have the fortitude and the skill set to deal with things if they go as wrong as they could do for example one of us dies um god god forbid that's an awful thing to say um you can only really make decisions based on the risk as you perceive it, but more importantly, your faith in your own abilities, what you can control, um, what, what you can affect, um, the input that you can give into any given situation when you're looking for a particular outcome. But also, that's, all, that's all you can factor in. But also in.
1: take responsibility for those risks. It was. We would not. I would like to think we would not put ourselves into such a position where you go, ah oh, well, we'll do this. But if something goes wrong, we can get somebody to come and get us out. So call up somebody help. I'm stuck on a mountain. Um, it. It. We. We. If we put ourselves into the situation, we we try to ensure that we have the skill set to extract ourselves from that situation as well
0: no and i'm not i'm not talking about that what what i'm looking at is is your has your your risk assessment changed as you get older and as you've been through more things are some things I mean, because you even mentioned about the mud, you know, you're, you're, you're sort of done with it. It's like, you know, the mud is like, I don't, I don't need that. And, and I'm wondering if that's, you know, if there's been some sort of change in your risk assessment. And and incidentally, yes. you're mentioning about, about knowing what you can do. Uh, there's, there's mm. research now that, um, that says that really basically the human condition is that we all overestimate what we can do. <laughs> 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 and apparently everybody does it. So that's a scary thought in itself. But that's what I'm wondering. Think- has your, has your risk assessment changed? Are the things that you I go, see- yeah. Now I think
1: actually maybe maybe mine has to a certain point because of being older. Um, but has your risk
2: has your ability to risk assess change mm. or have your priorities changed? Well,
0: that's what I'm asking. I'm not asking mm. about how. The, yeah. I mean, obviously, you're going to change as you, as you get older and you experience more things. You're going to assess risk Absolutely. differently. I think that's a natural progression. But mm-hmm. um, I guess it has your level changed? You know, have have you upped the threshold or lowered the threshold in, in what Ooh. you'll accept for danger?
1: Do you know I probably have to say for me, I've probably lowered my threshold. Really? Mm. Yes. Like now. you put the
0: brakes on sooner, basically, and say, yeah, this I, isn't worth it.
1: Yeah, I, yeah, I think that's probably it. It, it. it might also be, and this is going to sound terrible and I don't like sounding like this. Yeah, been there, done that, don't need to do it again unless it is... Absolutely, one hundred percent necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, don't we? Don't
2: have very much to prove to ourselves, yeah. and we've never tried to prove anything to anybody else. And that's and that's one of some friends, and it's one of a few, a few enemies. But all you can do, all you can do, is go through life and try not to hurt anybody, and 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 try and try to stay happy, and whatever version of your happy is. For us, it's challenging ourselves, finding out what we were capable of. But I think we're certainly. Neither of us have very much to prove to ourselves in terms of how much comfort or how much challenge we can we can deal with and accept.
0: But Simon, I, I hear you sort of respond to Lisa as if you're a little bit surprised that her threshold has been lowered.
2: No, no, not not a, not at all. Because mine mine has as well.
0: Oh, yours has as well. Um, that's what that's what I was wondering. Because yeah. I find the same thing. I mean, maybe it's just a thing that we all experience with age. I, I sort of feel like um. I mean, I really did go on a limb here, but I feel like I've become a little <laughs> bit wiser, you know, where I look at things and think that's just stupid, Jim, <laughs> you know, <laughs> at, at this point, there's that no is, reason that for that.
1: I think that is, is, is a, a bit of an age thing as well, really. Um, it, when you are young and you're 17, etc., you're invincible. Aren't oh
0: yeah. Well, you, and you absolutely. don't care. I mean, I, I've talked yeah. about this with other people. There's something about, at least for me when I was younger, is that death was sort of abstract, you know, you thought, well, I don't care if I die. I mean, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to stop yeah. doing things just because I'm being afraid of dying. I have to die eventually. But when you get older, there's something. I mean, you tend to want to hang
2: eventually on a little bit. Eventually, is,
1: is not too far away. Actually, yeah, is it? That's
2: right. <laughs> it's it's interesting. I I I agree with Jim. Um, my threshold, like yours, has lowered because I there's less there's less I need to do personally today.
1: And now, hang on a minute. Is there less you need to do to prove to yourself, yes. or just less you need to do generally?
2: No, to prove to myself but it's just dawned on me as well the other reason i'm willing to risk less is because the longer we travel and the further the further distances we cover the, the the more increased chance there is of you know that moment of bad luck popping up again and biting us on the ass and i'm more aware today that i am more concerned about your well-being and your health Purely for selfish reasons, because my life would be absolutely pointless without you in it.
1: Aww. No, I
2: know, I know, I know. It's going to sound utterly mushy, but I. And you I,
1: wouldn't get your dinner cooked for you I either. do assess.
2: I do take this take this as it meant. Don't make light of this. <laughs> I, I I do look at situations now and I go, okay, would we do it again? And it's not based on, okay, well, can I survive this or that, or is it worth it? But. The journey, the journey we've been through, for me, wouldn't have the same meaning if I wasn't doing it with you. Mm-hmm. Therefore, going on, bearing in mind, looking how old you are and looking how old I am, um, I've got to that point in my life where I'm going, yeah, I want to make sure that you're in my life for as long as humanly possible. That is more important to me than the travelling
0: well, I mean, it can sound depressing. You, you talk about, you know, get, we were mentioning getting older here and how you, you change the way you may, maybe you're not as adventurous. Somebody, people could say that, but I mean, that's, that's just the evolution of life. I mean, it's, it's like trying to, it's like worrying about our, uh, us looking older. That's, that's not. it's not like something's no gone point. wrong. It's not like something's going bad. That's just the evolution of life. We're all going to experience that, hopefully. I mean, you know, if we manage to make it long enough, we're all going to experience that's just the arc of life, you know, that that's we're going through. It's just the
2: through. fun of the game. I look in the mirror and I used to be, you know, I did, I did used to be very, very preoccupied with how I looked and today I look in the mirror and I look at the bags into my eyes and then look at the lines. And I say to myself, damn, I earned every one of those. (laughs) And it's, and this is where the conversation can get absurdly cliche, but you know, uh, we're all on borrowed time. Um, and that, that is part of the beauty of, of life. And that's why it's so important that if you have a dream or an ambition, um, Succeeding isn't terribly important, but trying to is. Um, looking back, going, what if? Life is too short. It's too, it's too precious.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I want to go back to um, talking about the, the turning it into making money on the road and and there were, we talked a little bit about your first um, presentation that you did and that sort of opened your eyes to think, okay, well, maybe we can turn this into something where we can make money and continue traveling because you can't keep traveling without money. I mean, that, that's just a, an imaginary thing, that, you know, to, to think that you could keep going around without having some sort of income. So where does it progress? Where does it become and how does it become a business?
1: Well, we actually realized that people were interested in in hearing about our stories so we thought well uh, we'll approach magazines and it was one of these things where some magazines are but like "Ah, yeah, no not interested you're doing what there nah, everybody's doing that and we're like are they really gosh have we we've been out on the road so long that everyone is actually doing it um but we got some good contracts do you remember um, the first one we ever did yeah we, we wrote for men's health men's health magazine <laughs> wow. in
2: south africa And they'd seen us on the street. They invited us into their office. This is the first time we ever sold anything to do with our journey. And um, bearing in mind that back then... The fact that they were even willing to publish something about us was just the coolest thing in the world, and we had done it for free.
1: (laughs) And I said, well,
2: well, send us the invoice. And I said, oh, I was trying to sound like I knew what I was talking about. I didn't have a clue. Yeah, sure. uh, What's your your billing structure, I I asked, in my most English of voices? (laughs) And he said, well, basically, this is how much we pay for the photographs. And back then, most magazines paid on size. So a double-paid spread was the the big win, all the way down to a one-eighth. Uh, page print for a photograph and then they would pay you per word i invoiced them and i looked at least and i went we are going out tonight for dinner in <laughs> south africa um, and then the very next time we sold anything was actually the usa and uh, well, we, we had a couple were, of
1: articles written about us when we were coming up through South America. There was a Brazilian magazine. That's right. Um, that was our first cover shot. Yeah, and then um, and then basically it was the USA. We hadn't actually realised just just how much interest was out there. We'd been out there doing it, happened. it. Yeah, the long way around it happened. Yes, and when we were out there doing it, all of this it, it started to grow as an industry. Um,
2: We were approached by a lovely guy called Kevin LaRue, who's got a, that's the most fantastic name, who's still a good friend today. And he, he had just bought a BMW motorcycle and had been to our website and we got this email. We didn't know who he was. And he said, listen, I I work for this, uh, I work for this software company. We make photo editing software and we're looking to put together an advert in a, a national magazine over here about photography. Do you have any images that you know you'd like to submit? So I, I gathered three or four images. Um, one was one was uh, from the states, and I sent them in, expecting never to hear anything ever again. I said thank you so much for even considering me. You know, blah blah blah. And then about two weeks later on, I got another email saying, okay, we've we've chosen we've chosen three images. Uh, one is from you guys. Um, a week later on, um, we've we've chosen your image. Um, can you send us an invoice? Went, well. <laughs> i had no idea what what do I, how do i invoice somebody um
1: well not in that respect i mean obviously you've been running your own business but it, it's it's slightly we it's didn't slightly have different. a printer we didn't, know, we
2: didn't have the ability to invoice we and i had no idea what the charge but we
1: didn't know the charges we didn't know right. people bought it. photographs yeah yeah
2: and uh so i said uh, <clears throat> so uh yeah i'll just i'll just invoice you <clears throat> the, uh, the the usual amount what's what's your comfort point <laughs> I remember, I remember saying it and going, what the hell did I just, I know, I swear to God, I think I just watched Wall Street. I, I probably had red braces on and a shirt. And he gave me a figure and I went, what? Sorry, what, what, for how much? Okay. And I remember, I remember creating this invoice on a, on a borrowed uh, computer because it had Word. And I said to Lisa,
1: we need to sell more photographs. <laughs> <laughs> So basically, the 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 selling of the articles along with the photography, it 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 all kicked off really from from there. We realised that people were hungry to hear about this stuff and to see the photographs. And, the very
2: next thing was yeah. our first calendar. The um, first calendar, yes, yeah. I'd done yeah. design and graphics in the past, uh, so I was in marketing, and we put together. Um, I remember, our right? First calendar. We did a we
1: did a very small one when we were in South Africa. Um, but this was our first, what I would say, our, our first in, really intentional um, to set to, to set yeah. online, yeah, yeah.
0: So now you figure out how to make money. That that has to change everything. What changes for you, and and how do you approach it then?
2: Oh sadly, gosh, I think it, it, yeah, did, it, did, it did to some degree. It, it did for me because I think the biggest change was I found myself walking on a knife's edge between seeing the onward journey and what was around me as I had been doing mm-hmm. and forcing myself to realise that actually I need to see the journey um, and what's around me through a camera more, through a lens more. I need to interpret it differently. I need to record it better so that I can share it and make some money, um, which I was very reluctant to do.
1: It didn't change how how we were going to travel, Um because it's not that much money, but, um, it, it, we were still very frugal in how we traveled.
2: But it didn't change um, at all.
1: No, but and, it
0: has to change the way you see things because now all of a sudden yeah. you like, you, you change yourself. You, you were on vacation sort of before and now Absolutely. all of a sudden you have a purpose. It's like, oh, this is now it sort of changes your role in life. I just,
2: um, yes and no. We had the purpose anyway. When we left the UK, um, even though we felt as though we were on vacation for the first six months, we had we had clear and specific goals, which was to ride and reach one hundred and twenty two countries, all seven continents, and to get to the lowest point and the highest highest point by motorcycle on each continent. We've done a lot of that. What what the what the making money part did was nothing more than allow us to realise that. The ambitions of onward travel that we had in our heads, in our imagination, were more possible than they were yesterday.
1: Because we were constantly mm. going, um, okay, it's it's going to have to come to an end. We're going to have to stop and and if we can't re- buy fuel, re- yeah, we return, can't carry on. Return where uh, we we didn't have a home to return to. Um, return somewhere. Um, but then that opened a lot of possibilities. Where would we return to? I don't think we ever really thought that we would return to the UK um, because there were so many possibilities out there.
0: Where are you now as far as the whole travel and, and making money and, and being on the road? Um, you, you did mention that you're you're hold up right now because of COVID. Uh, everything's yeah. sort of ground to a halt. But yeah. um, before that, where are you?
1: Before that, um, we were making plans. So, so we'd, we'd come back for a short um, medical uh, break um, back to the UK um, and we were returning uh, to the east coast of the States where we'd North left um, our, our vehicles and all of our equipment, et cetera, uh, with a view to uh, putting the bikes in a container and shipping back out to Africa.
2: Mm. But of course... South Africa, and then and then and then riding north, largely, and that was super exciting because when we were in Africa originally, uh, it was it's still our favorite continent. It's still the one where we, we cut our teeth. But going back with the level of experience today, going back with the bikes that we now have, but also with the camera with the equipment, camera equipment, and the and knowledge, the experience yeah. that we now have. Um, I mean, our biggest regret is that we weren't able to record Africa. As, as powerfully and, and as as professionally as we'd as we'd like to have done. But then we didn't we didn't know we'd be traveling for this long. Um we just didn't have the experience. We had a 3.2 megapixel camera. Africa is is just spectacular in terms of, of sheer life from from the wildlife to its diversity to the landscape. It's hard not to be inspired by that continent. Um, I'm scared.
0: Well, that's what I was saying is that you've changed, you know, you've, you've become different people because you're looking at it through a different perspective. Now, when you went through it first, mm-hmm. it was for your experience. Now you're looking to capture yeah. it, you know, and, and what I was asking though, is it like business wise? So what is to ride the world now, 16, 17 years on the road? What is it? How do you, how do you make money and, and how does it pay your way on the road?
2: Um... I mean, right, right here, right now, um, we are in a small a small cabin on in, on a on a mountain inside Snowdonia National Park, and we're back in a country that is not inexpensive. Um, I mean, if we were looking to be somewhere and, and save money, we'd be in Mexico or Thailand. At the same time, we can reach out to. Um, to friends and to sponsors on a far more regular basis, and and stay in contact and and, and run through ideas. But um, but Jim was asking is- about money. I mean, there's the. F- I mean, we we're, were able to create content yeah. now, so we've just put our first photographic book together. It just took four four months, <laughs> and we've just had the first wet copy back. So we've got one copy of the book to see whether or not the printer we've chosen is the one we want to use. Uh, we'll start marketing that in the next few months, but. Simple things like we have hundreds of thousands of images that we've seen on the screens that we really enjoy that we've never seen printed. Um, so there's lots of ideas that we've had over the last five, six, seven, eight years that we can now begin to turn into reality because we're stationary.
1: And also writing, um, it, it is very difficult to to be on the road permanently and try to do all of this. You're, you're trying to you're trying to live day by day. You're trying to get the documentation so you can cross the countries. You're you're trying to um, you're trying to make a, a living, however meagre that may be, um, and you can't you literally can't do everything uh and this has given us there, there's there are a few positives with having being enforced to take a step back um it's and one of them is being able to collate the materials that we have and actually realize what we we haven't shared with people it, it's it's a massive amount we have
2: eight terabytes of video data we've never shared we have 1.2 million photographs so right now we just put we just put out the calendar I mean just to be clear we're not making money we're like we're like everybody else right now we're in survival mode yeah in terms of just trying tough. to cover the bills um but we put a calendar together that did well this year uh,
1: and um and writing um I have a few plans um, that I'm, I'm hoping to to, to get together uh, in producing a few storybooks, uh, which we haven't had the time to do whilst we've been on the road. Um, and as Simon says, uh, currently, along with many people, who are kind of just in survival mode at the moment, and also coming coming down from being on the road all the time. Um, there's that that high, there's always something new around the corner, something new and exciting. You don't know what's going to happen when you wake up in the morning or even where you are. Um, and that has suddenly, suddenly changed. We've not had any time to prep for that. Uh, we, we were on our way back out to pick up the bikes and begin to organise the shipping over uh, it back into Africa. Um, and um, we both got ill. And we didn't really know what it was. We both felt a bit bad, and and then lockdown came, and then we realised what we had was actually COVID, and, and that we weren't
2: getting better. We very weren't quickly. getting
1: better, and Simon's had a, a lot of long term issues with that, and it, it it just went from bad to worse, and and now we're still in lockdown, we're still in isolation, and even though we're very very lucky to actually have somewhere. To call a base, which we haven't had um, until we made that very surprising decision that we needed a base. Thank God we did. Um, And and to be shut down, it's almost like having your heroin cut off immediately and just go cold turkey. It, it has been a struggle, but we're trying to keep ourselves uh, positive. positive and active and still reviewing the journey. And, of course, when when COVID eventually disappears or ceases to become such a huge issue, uh, we will plan to get back on the road. Whether or not it will be in the same format as before, I'm not sure.
2: I don't think it will be. But I think we don't. We both said that we we don't need to be on the road permanently. We never intended to be on the road permanently. Um, we've got this small base. Uh, we're really happy here. Being able to go out for a few months, six months or longer at a time, and be able to come back somewhere and then share those experiences and that content. Um.
1: So maybe going out and, and 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 going. Okay, we would like to go. Obviously, back to Africa and. Pinpoint this certain area and go, this is what we want to achieve photographic-wise from visiting this area. Have a bit more of a, a, a plan photographically um, and then come back. And instead of putting putting the images on a on a hard drive and not having the opportunity to see them for 24 months, 36 months and then they 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 get forgotten amongst the other million that we have. Um to to make a project out of it and to share that one part of of our journey fully share it. Good photographs, short stories, etc. That sounds good. Yeah.
2: So
0: when you're talking about a different approach for photography, are are you actually considering not motorcycles?
1: Oh, no, it'll still be motorcycles. okay.
0: I thought you might, you know, be looking at the four-wheel drive things, because I I know there's a certain level of comfort to people traveling uh, with four-wheel drives, and I've heard other people mention that that might be something we have to try.
2: Hmm. It might. We have written off it. I mean we would certainly consider it but at some way at some way down the road yet
1: i mean at, at the moment um, not being able to travel uh, and we can't even travel outside uh of the area we're in at the moment um so when, uh, when travelling does start to open up again, it'll be within the UK. Well, as we don't have any motorcycles here, it will be in whatever vehicle that we have. We will have to get out and about and, and, and travel about our local area. Um, so that's more than likely going to be in one of those four-wheeled things. Um, <laughs> but uh, when we get back out and can collect our motorcycles and head off again, it, it will definitely be with the motorcycles.
0: Hey, you guys mentioned that you, you just said there about catching COVID. How did that happen?
1: <laughs> well It was Lisa's fault. It was my fault, yes. Um, no. <laughs> um, we, we'd we been back to, to visit family uh, over Christmas time. We made a conscious decision to do that um, and uh, come back for some medical reasons. And um, during that time period, uh, Simon had turned 50. So a friend and I, a very, very old friend, uh, she's not old, she's a long-term friend. Um,
2: (laughs) That was a good comeback. (laughs) Good comeback. Hi, Jackie.
1: I know that she'll be listening. Um, And uh, we decided to... uh, organized to go to a concert in London and this is something that we used to do when we were younger but of course being on the road you just don't do that kind of thing and it was his 50th birthday present and off we headed um to a concert one of the biggest in
2: venues in London and basically me Lisa um, our friends and 62,000 other, other people, people from all around the world in a small
1: confined area well, not too small but it was yeah. a confined area lots of people public transport and you know so we were on all the tubes underground, etc., cetera. And um, we came back and literally- so We started feeling a little four, ill quite quickly. Yeah, four days after that, I felt really ill.
2: It was actually about the exact same time that COVID started hitting the news. Mm-hmm. Oh, so this was before it was a big deal.
1: Yes. Although it was here, apparently. Um, so, um, I think, I think they were saying about the first cases people started to record. It was about the 19th of February and we shut down in the UK on the 23rd of March. Well, this is the end of February. So I think about the 4th and 5th of March, I started to feel quite ill. Uh, and then I'm like, oh, it's a cold. Yeah. Oh, it's flu. Oh, it's really flu. Actually, no, it's not. It's something else. And then all of this started to to come to the fore. My my sister is a, a retired doctor, and she said to me, um, "Is it possible that you may have this um, COVID? Um, though there was a long term for it, but anyway, COVID that's going around. You should call up one of the hotlines." Well i did and eventually got through and it was have you been to china no have you been to italy no oh well then it's probably just flu. and i and knew we said that yes, it was but we've just wasn't. been to a
2: concert Sixty thousand people we were on london transport went through all the reasons that uh, that we thought somebody should should take note um uh, it just at, it just, just time, wasn't possible at the time if you hadn't been to china yeah. and hadn't been to italy it, we were we were quite frankly utterly dismissed mm. um,
1: so but we now know um, that it it, it it was COVID, was COVID, COVID. and um, it was um, yeah, it, it was a long time.
0: You got tested, and then you what did
2: you do for treatment?
1: Um, well, there's there's no. there's nothing really.
2: Uh, I, actually, <laughs> we got we got tested because we we're both dealing with symptoms of what they're calling long COVID. Now, the the, the symptoms are myriad. But my biggest issue. Lisa has her own story. Um, was I was outside doing. So I I I didn't get hit initially as hard as Lisa did. I wasn't bedridden, um, and uh, but for for months now I've had this situation. Um, I would I would be doing something completely mundane, completely normal, nothing that was terribly you know exhausting, and I just find myself short of breath. Um, to the point of near panic, uh, where I've had to lie down, where my arms and my legs then start shaking. um, And then you have these waves of anxiety because it feels as though I'm going to pass out. So you then start reading about breathing exercises, tying in that with complete and absolute exhaustion. Now, bearing in mind that Lisa and I we know both know what exhaustion yeah, is.
1: We both know we pushed ourselves to the limit. So we're not just going, ah, oh, we're a bit tired, therefore we were exhausted. We were
2: No, we just absolutely so, physically yeah. and mentally spent for absolutely no reason out I of the blue. actually still
1: get that. Yeah. Um I had a bad day just the other day and I have no idea what happened. Um I just suddenly went, I have to go and lie down.
2: I, um, I'm not able to stand. I feel yeah. I feel weak, and it, it's not blood sugar. It's not carbohydrate. It's not water. It's not minerals. It's it's we you know all of those other, all of those other things we're we're taking care of. It's
0: a year, like it's almost a year. Yeah. Then mm-hmm. wow, yes,
1: That's what uh, they call long COVID. Now yeah. we're not experiencing what some people are. Wow. No. Um, uh, so um, yeah, it's it's given us a, a a time to reflect as well on just on the situation that we are lucky that we're here and that we have a base and that we have family around us. Not that we can see them at the moment, but at least we can keep in contact a bit more often. Um,
2: We're able to manage the risks. Had this happened to us whilst on the road, um, the consequences both in terms of our health, leases, other medical complications, and the implications on our finances whilst you're trying to stay stationary out on the road, Um, that those aren't aren't manageable risks. Mm
0: -hmm. Do you still travel with medical insurance?
2: We've never had medical insurance.
0: You've never
1: had. uh, Actually,
2: other uh, than the the one time in
1: Brazil, that was it. Yeah, when when you you broke your neck, that was covered, wasn't it? Yes, yes, yes. it was. Um, Thank goodness. Um, And we had... We had medical I'm sorry, I'm wrong. You, you I, keep are thinking, wrong yeah. I keep thinking
2: I keep thinking of motorcycle insurance.
1: Yeah. Um so we did have the medical insurance then. Um and then you were you were kicked out from the insurance company. <laughs> they were just like, Yep, that's it. We're done with you after they paid the bills. Well I taken the insurance
2: out um. <laughs> eight weeks eight weeks um earlier and uh then I tried to get the money back and they said, Do you know how much you just cost us? And I said, No, and they said two hundred and twenty one thousand dollars. So no, you're not having the other 10 months of your policy back. (laughs) Oh, they they cut Um, you off at that point. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yes, totally. It's funny. You know, the insurance
0: thing is a, is a funny business, isn't it? They, they insure mm-hmm. you, they go on the odds and say they're, they're going to bet and say, this isn't going to happen to you. You're going to pay the premium. And as soon as they lose, boy, do they ever get upset. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's yeah. not like you think they would take it in stride and say, okay, well, that we expected that. It's one in so many. That's how we make our money. But they don't. Yes. They, they, no, they immediately don't, they don't like try and it. find ways <laughs> not to pay. And then you hear of this sort of thing where they're going to dump you off the policy.
1: Yeah. yeah. But um it was um there have been certain areas now uh- for long periods of time, we haven't had medical insurance, which I know is very silly. Um, but there have been certain times when, uh, like in the outback of Australia, we we took out medical insurance for the period of time um, that we knew we were going to be in the real outback. But
2: this goes back to risk um, management. It's yeah. not it's not silly. It's just the reality that yeah. we could not, we cannot afford ongoing medical insurance whilst we travel. Mm-hmm. But then when we look at a particular leg of our journey, for example, the world's longest short bank. So Shortcut. A, sorry, shortcuts So North East Australia to Southwest, 3,000 miles of sand and desert. For those three weeks, we, we took, took our our insurance. insurance. So as, yes. and when, as, and when the, as and when we see the risks going up and we identify the consequences of a particular part of our journey um, being more negative than positive based on risk, then we will we will take out a day, a week, a month of insurance to cover ourselves in case things you know go sideways.
0: Well, what do you say to, to somebody who would who would and there's a lot of people who say if you can't afford medical insurance, you can't afford to travel. And and what would you say to the people who would say that? Well, the thing is though, if anything goes wrong, you're going to end up leaning on your friends and family or, or anyone else really to to sort of be rescued at that point. Because I mean, if something major goes down, it's a two hundred twenty thousand dollar. Bill for you at a hospital in a foreign country. What happens then? Do
2: you know what I think? I think you get to a certain point where you say to each individual, "Look, we're all different. You have you have to decide what is right for you based on your own moral compass, based on your own value system." Um, I know that I gave up trying to control everything a long time ago, and if you tried to plan a life based on being able to control everyone's sensitivities every politically correct decision um, every, minimizing the risk on everything um then just jump in a couple of box yeah. and stay there there, there aren't there, there simply aren't there aren't right answers to to everything um and the answer is yes if if you have no balance you're the clumsiest guy on the planet you've got a history of just really dumb decisions and things not working out then yes, to do something like we've done without insurance, for example, knowing that, hang on, somebody else is going to have to pick up these pieces that you keep continuously dropping, then I would say that is a very poor set of decisions. But Lisa and I as individuals, um, we've got to a point where we know we're capable, we know we're able, we know we are able to claim our successes and our failures whilst literally you know, taking control and not passing the fallout onto other people. Um, we, we are able to do that. Now, not all and every time, because honestly, the level of support, friendship, and generosity we've received over the last 16 years has been humbling, is the very best word I can put it. Um, life, life is to some degree a lottery. There are you can't go out with all the answers to everything. You, you just can't. You can just go out with what's right for you.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you can look at any risk, and um, I mean, someone could say just riding a motorcycle is irresponsible for someone who has a family. You know, absolutely, um, male or female. I mean, you, you know, it's 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 perspective. It definitely is, and um, it's a it's a somewhat um, you probably get that from travel too, because it's um, it's difficult. We we tend to judge everything from. The way we were brought up, the rules that we were brought up with, and our thought processes as we grew up, and and I think when you're exposed to many other thought processes, you start to possibly even question your own and and whether you're right, quote unquote.
2: That's what I mean. That is one of the best things about travel. Travel should force you to question um, your own choices and your own perspective. I mean, a few moments ago, the answer I should have given is. When you're talking about creating problems or dealing with problems, one of the things Lisa and I have learned, and it's a valuable lesson, is, okay, first off, let's define what a problem is. Because, you know, the thing that we are currently describing as a problem, no, 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 that is just a mild inconvenience. We've seen, we've seen people around the world deal day to day with real problems Without the possibility of those problems disappearing or suddenly becoming better, um, and a lot of the time, Lisa and I have to bite our tongues because we have friends and family and other people that we do know and some that we don't know, and you'll hear them talking with great angst about a set of problems, and you're thinking to yourself, that's not a problem. I mean, the the amount of times we'll hear someone, oh my, the cost, the cost of fuel, the cost of petrol, it's terrible, this and that, and and I want to pipe up. You've got three cars. <laughs> oh, the cost of heating the house. You've got five bedrooms. Your kids have left. Your house is empty. This isn't a problem. You know, a problem is where do I get water from? How do I take care of my kids? How do I take care of the people that I love when, I, when there's no opportunity around me? These are, these are problems. And uh, yeah, one of the best things about travel is realigning. What, what's real, what's important, and what isn't.
0: Well, I, I think that that's, um, that's a human thing. We we, we get used to, uh, it's like a thermostat. You know, we get used to things being at a certain temperature, and you're fine if it stays at temperature, but as soon as it changes, that's when you start to complain. You know, that it's getting too hot or it's getting too cold, without any sort of reference to the temperature to begin with, to just how good it exactly. was to begin with. And Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think that... Um, I think a lot of people deal with that, and the the more we have, the more we seem to expect in life. Oh, yes. (laughs) To finish things off um, today, I just want to get some advice from you for for people who are considering traveling. Would you you tell people that they um, should—I mean, uh, you know, common people say just get out and do it. I think that's the first hurdle, of course, but would you advise that people— go out and try something extraordinary or what I'm saying is, is to get the, to get the essence out of travel that you guys have experienced in 16, 17 years on the road to get something like that. Do they need to do that? Do, can you get that on a, on a short adventure or is it just unattainable? I mean, that that's the sort of
2: no, question you can go, I think I'm you putting can, in there. You can go and you can go and do it. You could, you could do it by going to the town next door, and simply going into a bar or going into um, a nature reserve that you've not been to before, and basically any time you put yourself into a new situation, uh, be it be it professionally, be it geographically, you're going to learn something. It's going to it's going to be it's going to be part of who you are. You don't have to go to extremes to to really learn and enjoy an experience.
1: I think the po- important thing here is that Simon and I. D- we did do it in stages. We, we didn't just go, we're going on a long trip now, bye. We had travelled fairly frequently and uh, for quite a few months at a time prior to thinking about a longer-term travel, i.e. this first 16 months, that's what it was going to be. Um, and so we, we knew that it was something that we enjoyed, that we loved, that we wanted a little bit more from um we we didn't plan a massive i'm going around the world right now um there had been a lot of thought prior to it Um, but
2: we both thrive we both thrive on testing ourselves and Mm -hmm. and learning learning new things that's the thrill of it i think
1: some of the things we've learned along the way from others is that that the people meet us and go i want to do what you do uh, and they always see the, the 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 glamorous side of things. And uh, first off, you have to realize there's some st- tough stuff that's going to happen, and you may not, you may not want that. You may not realize that that's going to happen. You have to imagine that. Yep, there's going to be some bad things that will happen. Um, and also, we're very lucky in that we travel together. Wherever we are is where our home is. So there's no for, for either because of us. Because the other one of us is Yeah, there. There, there's no hankering. There's no there's no loneliness. Of course, you miss you miss mm. good friends and family. That's a good point. Um, but we still have each other, so we can sit and talk and and we are very
2: and rationalize and celebrate the day or mm-hmm. commiserate if it's been a bad one.
1: Whereas if you're planning and you're going to travel on your own, you have to you have to be aware that you are going to be totally and utterly on your own for for sometimes many weeks you might not speak the language you might not be able to interact or that you're going to
2: meet great people make great friends and have to leave them
1: have to leave them yeah and
2: that i mean traveling solo like that i think that is it's it's very it it Mm. offers a different set of challenges Mm. but going back to the original question um i think i think the most important thing is decide decide before you go on on a on a trip whether it's a week or a year what you want out of it why are you, why are you going? Is it just to take photographs? Is it because you need to press a personal or professional reset button? Are you looking to challenge yourself? Are you looking just to relax and get away from things? Are you looking to learn about something new? Or is new? there
1: a particular area that you've always wanted to, to go to uh, rather than just, I'm just going to meander around a bit?
2: Choose to do something on purpose because there's something that you want from the journey. And that can be as vague as personal growth or as specific as, um, I'm looking to I'm looking to help less fortunate people, do some charity work, all in a language. But choose before you go. Have some expectations, but make them realistic.
0: Do you think that the deprivation comes in here? at all though to to center yourself so that you can really experience things sort of from a maybe a different perspective than what you would go in with uh, on a 2 week vacation i mean a lot of people talk about this you know when they're when they're on the road for 3 months 6 months a year they sort of pass a threshold where where they see things differently they experience things things differently it's not so much a quick vacation as it becomes a lifestyle and you and you you get more from it do you think that that being deprived th- of your friends and your comfort zones and things like that changes your
2: perspective? Yeah. Yeah, I mean I mean it unquestionably and absolutely does change your perspective. And most of the people that you know and that we know that make those kind of statements, we all feel very lucky to have had the experience that allows us to give that kind of advice. Although I don't know anybody that intentionally went out to deprive themselves Mm-hmm. Um, um, so I, it, it's, it's a real catch twenty two because yes, I think putting yourself in, in that situation where you suddenly begin to really appreciate things you took for granted before, I mean, lockdown is a great example. Um, you know, you, you're suddenly at the window looking at people going by, you know, and thinking if only I could go out and have a conversation with you, whereas <laughs> before that was completely normal. Now we're isolated. So you, t- you do tend to appreciate, um, very differently uh, once you have been deprived but it's very difficult to advise someone you know what go go outside and go and deprive yourself because that just sounds that just sounds miserable <laughs> no and,
0: and and of course that would be ridiculous to, sit, to you know go out somewhere and, and make sure you're out of the fuel so you can experience what it's like that's crazy but yes. you can certainly cut yourself off from things and put yourself in situations where you are deprived at least of your 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 friends and your family or, or your comfort ah. zone cutting you know. yourself
1: off but from social media on, would be great but can you I, I'm not sure you can these days. Are you serious?
0: Wh- what do you mean? You mean cut yourself off from social media?
1: Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, cut yourself off from your family and friends because when we first left, there was no such thing as social media. When we cut, up, when we left, we cut ourselves off we from have family no cell phone. and friends. There was no cell phone. We didn't even know Skype was available. Well, it actually wasn't until until uh, halfway eight months into the first year on the road, um, and but these days, I mean, you have zoom and you have whatsapp and you have messenger and you have and and it's almost like you can still be in the same room as your mates like well, you um, have no excuse
0: in other words to but to stay in touch but 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 i yeah. mean you could like usually with social media what people do is they're they're posting you know many times a day even in in many cases but you certainly could go on an adventure and say you tell your family and friends i'll be posting once a week for for basic updates that's it. Other than that, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be, you know, have my phone off.
2: I actually, I, I genuinely think that everybody should once a month have a few days of social media detox because even, even social media has played such a huge part on how we perceive each other, ourselves and the world. And yeah, to, 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 to go for a walk, go for a horse ride, jump on a bicycle, jump on a motorcycle, Go and experience new things, but give yourself the luxury of experiencing them selfishly just for you. Not seeing these experiences through somebody else's eyes because you're going to share it. Just just enjoy them. You go to the Grand Canyon these days, I guarantee you've got 99% of the people looking at the Grand Canyon through their camera or through their phone or over their shoulders whilst they take a selfie. It's so important just to put all that stuff down now and again and just just absorb it as the first person. Just let it roll over you. Just have the experience be singular and real and selfish.
1: That was good. There is the lesson.
0: <laughs> it was great to sit down and talk with you guys. Really nice that you're sitting in this little cabin. I, I have a beautiful picture in my mind of your cabin <laughs> on the side of the mountain in, inside a national park. I think it's fantastic. Lisa, Simon, great to chat with you once again. Thanks
2: very much.
1: Thanks so Jim, much, an Absolute
2: pleasure. Thanks for having us, mate.
0: That was Simon and Lisa Thomas from their mountain cabin in Wales. Their website is ToRideTheWorld.com. That's the numeral two at the front. And uh, that link, of course, is in the show notes for this episode on our website, adventurerideradio.com, along with some great photos from their collection. just want to remind you that this episode has been brought to you by green chili adventure gear green chili adv.com motobreeze chain oiler at motobreeze.com and best rest products at CyclePump.com. and we'd really appreciate it if anytime you're dealing with these companies anytime email or otherwise let them know you heard them here on adventure rider radio that about wraps up another episode of adventure rider radio and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it special thanks to our producer elizabeth martin and to you the listener thank you very much for being a part of this don't forget we have a support system which we hope you look at adventureriderradio.com click on support it's what helps the show and what makes it work it's supposed to be a model of advertising and listener support drop by have a look anything ten dollars or more gets you a sticker sent back at you for your motorcycle your pannier your toolbox i think fifty dollars or more gets you a shout out and our online our raw show and speaking of our raw show that's the other show that we do it's a monthly you need to subscribe separately all on our website drop by our website adventureriderradio.com now it's time to get out there and ride your bike if you can my name is jim martin thank you very much for listening i'll talk to you next week
1: my name is austin vince and i'm on adventure rider radio